chapter up at the end of this week. And so Luke chapter 9, I'd like to look at here um, the disciples' deployment, deployment in verses 1 down to verse 6. And then there are a couple verses concentrating on Herod at Luke inserts here in verses 7, 8, and 9. And then the disciples return in verse 10. And maybe ask this question here. I think it maybe be appropriate today. Of those who have served in the military, would you please stand if you served in the military? And I know it's not Veterans Day or Memorial Day or anything, but would you please stand if you served in the military in some branch of service here? And uh, let's give them a round of applause. All right, stay, stay standing, stay standing. Um, if, if you had um, a deployment overseas, um, would you remain standing? If you, if you didn't, if you were just here, served here, would you sit down? Those who had an um, overseas deployment. And uh, all right, so you see those, a lot of them. All right, thank you. Thank you for your service, your sacrifice. You may be seated. Um, you answered the call. And for some of you, during time of war, or maybe even during time of peace, uh, the, you've received your orders to go overseas. And um, your, your um, battalion, your group was sent. And all that training, um, all, the, all the miles, all the, the, the hiking, and um, all, all of the time in the classroom... And uh, learning your expertise in your field uh, to, to go over during time of war. In the Middle East or uh, in the East or uh, Asia. And serve our country on a foreign field. And protect our, um, our, our nation and our country. And thank you for obeying your orders. And there are probably times that uh, the inconvenience of your family... You had to leave and leave them here. Or maybe they had to pack up and make a transition. Uh, we've got one of our own this weekend. Uh, the Kunkas that uh, have received uh, orders to, to be transferred. And uh, they've been here three years and praise the Lord. And today's their last Sunday. And he's been a deacon and they've been faithfully serving. Their young people have been faithful at the, at the doors. The boys and even Laurie um, greeting people in our service. And we're going to miss them. But sometimes you receive your orders. You've got to obey the commander, the commander-in-chief, and the one in charge. And here in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is giving the orders to the disciples. And he's sending them, if you want to say, maybe overseas. He's deploying them out to now go. They've received the training. They've, they've, they've been in the classroom. They've sat at his feet. They've watched him. They've traveled from city to city. They've heard his parables. They've heard his teaching. They've been with him for some time now. And now Jesus says, it's your time. And so he gathers them together and he tells them at the first part, he calls the 12 apostles or 12 disciples together and he gave them power and authority over the devils to cure diseases. And then he sent them out to preach. Now, Luke chapter 9 is a transition chapter. There's actually so much in this chapter. There's, um, 
there's, there's not a way that I could be able to even, I'd like to give you an outline of it, but there's 60, uh, 62 verses in this chapter, and there's a lot going on, but it's an important chapter. In chapter 8, previously, we were given an introductory group of verses in chapter 8 that talked about Jesus' women's ministry. And how there were women that followed him and supported him. Then Jesus told a parable of the seed and the sower. That parable about hearts and the soil of man's hearts. Then there was a small conversation there about his earthly family and his heavenly family. As his mothers and his brothers and sisters came to bring him back home. And Jesus took that as an opportunity to address a principle about who are his mothers. Who are his brothers and sisters. And then Luke 8 recorded for us four miracles demonstrating his willingness and his ability to deliver people from all kinds of situations. Storms, demons, sickness, pain, sorrow, and then eventually death. Now Jesus' ministry is going to move from being very public to being a little bit more private. He, he's going to, his mood changes. His method seems to change as well. And his, his ministry that it goes from being the, the public speaker, the public healer, to now becoming the, 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 the master who sends his disciples. In fact, of this chapter in verse 51 gives us a little bit of a transition of what we're talking about. Look at verse 51 of this chapter. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. In other words, this is talking about his, um, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension to the heaven. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Do you see that in verse 51? There's the transition point. Jesus now has concluded some portion of his public ministry. That doesn't mean he's no longer publicly available to the crowds. But for the rest of the gospel of Luke and the rest of Jesus' ministry is kind of going to focus more on his private conversations and is going about and teaching and sending his disciples because he's preparing for his uh, Passion Week where he will take the cross. Verse 51 says he steadfastly sets his face. He establishes and determines, I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer, bleed, and die. And for the rest of the gospel, it will kind of be like a, an uphill climb to the cross. Where there will be the climax of Jesus' earthly ministry. So, in this chapter, chapter 9, there's a lot going on here. And... Uh, I would like for us just to look at the first six verses this morning with the disciples experiencing this transition. They will go from disciples to apostles. Here they are being commissioned. They are being given their orders and they are being sent out. You see, the, a disciple and apostle is not the same thing. Disciples are followers of the master. They are students of their teacher. And there is some sense that these men will remain disciples, students, for the rest of their life. They will remain learning under the master's feet. They are always going to be learning and following Jesus. However, in this chapter, a transition takes place. They no longer become disciples. Now they are apostles. Look at chapter 9 in verse 1. 
And he called his 12 disciples. Now look at verse 10 that we read earlier. And the apostles. When they returned. You see how Luke changes that? He sent them out as disciples. But when they came back, Luke changes the word. He says, now they are apostles. And then the word apostles, the 12 apostles and the 12 disciples will be used synonymously for one another. But these disciples have now graduated from Jesus Baptist Bible College. Or Jesus Seminary. And they have received their degrees as students. And now they're apostles. Apostles are sent out ones. You see, we're all called to be disciples, but there have been only a few apostles. There are the 12 apostles in this chapter. And then Luke will record a few more apostles that will be added in the book of Acts. Those chapters will focus on some more apostles like the Apostle Paul that will be added. Matthias that will take the, uh, Judas's place that will be added. And probably a few others who as well will be uh, apostles throughout the New Testament time. And so in, this, in these first six verses that we see today, this is the sending out of these apostles. And then in verse 7, 8, and 9, there's a question of the identity of Jesus from Herod. So let's first of all look at the disciples being commissioned. Notice the verbs in the opening verse. He called them, he gave them, and then in verse 2, he sent them. These are all verbs in the same tense. He called them. Jesus has been giving invitations all along. People were coming to him. He was calling out. He said, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He came to people and he would say, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He came to these men in the area, in this region, and he called them out in chapter 6 and verse 13. You remember he came off the mountain when he was praying and he came down and he called them among many of the disciples. There were many more than just the twelve. There were a lot of disciples that were following Jesus. Even in chapter 8 and verse 1 shows us that there were many women who followed Jesus. He had been giving out the call for people to come follow him and people had left their stuff and followed Jesus. That was the invitation. However... There are some who have received a unique calling. A unique calling that Jesus is going to set them aside for a specific ministry. That happened with these 12 men. He brought them out of the number of disciples and he called them as his 12. In this chapter, those 12 will become apostles. We also notice that in the previous chapter, in chapter 8 and verse 38, there was a gentleman who had been possessed by a legion of demons and who he wanted to follow Jesus, but Jesus told him, don't follow me, I have another plan for you. Instead of getting in the boat and going on the other side and following me like these other men are, I want you to go back to your hometown. And I want you to preach and to share everything that I have done for you. Share it with those around you. He gave him a specific, a unique calling. Don't 
Don't come and, and do this, but I want you to specifically do this. Now, I've heard this reference to a special call. It's not special in the sense that it's more important. But it is for someone to specifically dedicate their life to full-time ministry. In a unique vocation that requires full attention to the ministry of Jesus Christ. This type of calling is not for everyone. We're all called to be disciples. But not all of us are called equally in a vocation area to serve in, in the same way. We all have different gifts and abilities. And there are some people in the auditorium today who have, been, who have received a unique calling that is, God has used in their life to be specifically their time, their education, their, their full-time attention to be about the ministry of reaching people for Jesus Christ. That is their calling. And that is what Jesus does with these disciples. And he calls them specifically. They've already been saved. They've already been surrendered. They're already following and learning him. But Jesus sets them aside and says, Now, I want you to be apostles. And that's going to be special. It's going to be different. I'm not going to call everyone to do that. This is true for certain ministries. I believe the scripture makes it clear that pulpit ministry is a calling that is only given to men. Now, you may have a different opinion about that, but I believe the New Testament teaches that those who preach and those who are called to preach is a vocation that is given to a, to a specific um, man who has received that gift and who has followed that gift in ministry. In fact, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12 Paul says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Paul on the road to Damascus not only got a salvation call, but he got an apostleship call. He got a ministry call. Paul, all your training, all your vocation, all your time from here on out is going to be full-time Christian service, full-time ministry. You see here, the Lord was giving them a specific call. He was giving them a specific gift. This gift would be apostleship. And it was not for everyone. It is a gift given by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit for this church age that is going to come about eventually in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. And these men, along with Matthias, who will replace Judas, will become the twelve apostles. And they will be the foundation of the church. They'll be unique. And I don't believe that the Lord calls apostles today. There is a criteria, a specific criteria in the New Testament that you must meet to be an apostle. And one of those is you have to have followed Jesus in his earthly ministry. And unless you're 2,010 years old or whatever, you don't meet that qualification. Especially today. The apostleship, I believe, died off in the first century. It was given a gift as the apostle John would be the last of those apostles that were specifically given this gift as we see in Luke chapter 9. However, I just want to draw your attention. In about a month, our church has set aside July 16th will be a time where our church has voted 
to call for an ordination council to officially, from our church, ordain and commission Pastor Ben Coronado for full-time Christian service, full-time ministry. That will mean on Saturday of the 15th, there will be an ordination council. It's already been called. And the council will, will look over his doctrinal statement as required by the bylaws from the church. And then the council will then make a determination based on his orthodoxy and his doctrinal statement and will make a recommendation to the church for the church then to commission and ordain Ben Coronado to the gospel ministry. That special gift of pulpit ministry or for full-time Christian service, God is still in the business of doing. It is a gift that is given to the church, not apostleship. But some who have been called specifically. And maybe there are some young people. Maybe there's some teen boys. Maybe there's some teen girls who've been called. Maybe to some area of full-time Christian service. To give their life to missions. Or Christian education work. Or something like that. That God has called them or God may call them. God is still in the business of, of, of sending out a specific unique call to individuals. That they would dedicate their life specifically to the gospel ministry and the furtherance of the ministry of God through the local church. And I would pray that he would continue to do that. That in the days ahead, maybe, maybe Daniel Sample, who is doing an, uh, uh, um, an internship this summer. That maybe God would continue on his call on his life. And that we as a church, Calvary Baptist, would recognize that call and one day commission that call. Maybe some of these other young men who have indicated that the Lord is leading them specifically in, in some area of full-time ministry. That is a calling. It is unique. And it's not for everyone. But as we see in this passage, the Lord is still in the business of calling. Are you willing? Are you, are you willing to give your life? You say, well, I already have a, a full-time job. I already have. But maybe God is planting seeds in your heart. Maybe God has been working. Maybe God has put some circumstances in your life. And he's been saying, I, I, I want a specific mission field. I, I want a, a ministry that you can be a part of. And you can set your side and change your vocation. It only comes from God. It doesn't come from yourself. It comes from God as he lays that seed and he, he gives that call. So in this chapter, we see that there is a specific call that comes to these men that is unique to what they are going to do. He also, when he calls, he also enables. Because in this verse he said, and he called his 12 disciples together and he gave them power and authority. He enabled them with power and authority. And I want to say as well, this is unique too. He will give them something that he doesn't give equally to every person. But it is, it is enough for the task that he's called them to do. What is the power and authority that they have over? They will be able to, to have power over the devils, to cure diseases, and to heal the sick. That's what it says in verse 2 as well. So they will have authority and power. This power is the Greek word dunamine, which means a force. It is talking about the ability this exousia, which is, a, which is the power of authority they will have over. They will receive from God this miraculous ability over demons and sickness. 
And then they will be given the authority to go out in his name, preach the kingdom, and cast out demons and heal the sick. Now this is interesting that they are given. This is a duplication of the ministry of Jesus. That's what he'd been doing. He'd been going in, casting out demons, healing the sick, casting out diseases and over plagues. We had just read about two occasions before in, chap- in chapter. This is unique. It was given for a time period through the ministry of the apostles to authenticate their message. This was the gift of healing and exorcism. And it was given to these apostles. Now, I don't believe, I believe these sign gifts were specific for, for these men. I don't believe that they continue today. And that is also controversial in our day-to-day, especially among of Church of God, Pentecostal, and Charismatics. That continue to see the gift of healing and diseases and, and the gift of, of, of exorcism and casting out demons and, and revelation is a continual process that God is continuing to give. And I specifically believe, based on 1 Corinthians 13 and other passages of Scripture, that those sign gifts were unique to the first century believers, especially to the apostles. And the reason it was given is because it was to authenticate their message. It was to show that that they are the messengers of the Messiah and they carry his message and his power. Remember, they don't have the book of Matthew. They don't have the book of Luke. They don't have the book of Ephesians and Corinthians and Romans. The apostles are the New Testament. They will be the source by which those books are written. So at this point, Jesus passes to them his power with his message, and then the healings and the casting out of demons were to authenticate that the Messiah had come and the kingdom of God was being offered. They had this ability to accomplish their task. Now that principle, I believe we do have. When God calls you for something, he never leaves you without the ability to do what he's called you to do. We may not have the gift of healing and the power over demons in the equal way as the apostles. However, God has given every believer, he's given him gifts. I believe specifically every believer has the gift of the Holy Spirit. We all have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have the gift of a more sure word of prophecy. The fulfillment of God's word, the canon of the scripture, the close of the book of Revelation that has now given us the 66 books of God that have been inspired so that we can take them and read them and know God's word and believe it and trust it. That's a gift that you have and you carry it to church. And you wake up on Monday morning and you have it on your nightstand and in your living room as we talk to the young people this week. This is your sword. Go through your house and count your swords. See how many swords of the Lord, the word of God, you have in your home that God has given you and preserved for you to know his word. He's given you his spirit. He's given you his word. He has given us the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And John says in 1 John that he has given us the victory through his son to overcome the world. So the Lord Jesus Christ that lives within us is is what we need. I want to say as well that God has given us the gift of the church. And the gift of the leadership of the church. 
We're talking about this. The apostles who recorded down for us the scripture that we have as the church. That faith that has been gathered together as it received from Jesus to the apostles. From the apostles to the church. That's the word of God. That's the faith that we are to contend for and we are to fight for. But God has also given us the church. The body of Christ. A local congregation right here in Huntsville, Alabama that we can gather with and we can have an accountability with. We can use our gifts and talents for the Lord and that we can share and it can help us and encourage us on a weekly basis and sometimes a daily basis to pray for us and to pray with us and to encourage us as we walk this life. He's not given us a task and then didn't Give us the the ability and the tools that we need to accomplish the task. He is a God who calls us, directs us, and then enables us to accomplish what he's called us to do. So you don't sit in a seat today and say, well, I I just don't have those gifts. Well, you may not have the gift specifically of full-time Christian service or preaching or teaching or being a missionary. But God has given you some gifts. And you ought to use them in the ministry and the vocation that God has called you in your area. And then the scripture says here in verse 2, look at this. And he sent them to preach the kingdom. So he called, he gave, and then he sent. And this is the Greek word apostoleo. It's the same word that's found in verse 10. That is one of the reasons why Luke transitions. They are now sent ones. These were set apart. They're holy. They have a special service for the king. And they are to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Notice they are not going out emptying the hospitals and clearing the world of diseases. That's not all that they're to do. That's not their main priority. What they're doing is they're preaching the kingdom of God. And then to authenticate the preaching of the kingdom of God and the Messiah King, they are to heal and cast out demons. They were given this message that Jesus and John had been preaching. A message of a king was coming and a kingdom was coming. And the only way to accept the king and the only way to be admitted into the kingdom is to repent. And accept the message of the king. That is called the good news. The message of the kingdom and the good news is the same message. Mark chapter 6 and verse 7 actually says that Jesus sent them two by two. Luke doesn't record this, but we know that he sent them into groups of twos. He paired them up together. And in Matthew 5 verse 5 and 6, before he sends them out, he tells them, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, into any city of the Samaritans entered ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now Luke doesn't give us that detail. He just says they're going out and preaching. And one of the reasons may be by because Luke is writing to a Gentile named Theophilus. And Matthew is specifically writing to the Jew. And this commissioning service, this, these orders were specifically for these disciples to go only to Jewish villages. Not to the Gentiles. That will come later. And they are to preach to just the lost sheep of Israel. You see the apostles were, do, were doing, were going to Israel and the Jews telling them that their Messiah was here. They were telling him what his name is, Jesus of Nazareth. 
and that the kingdom was now being offered to his people if they will accept the message and accept his messiahship. The king has come. So he gives them a preparation. Look in verse 3. And he said unto them, take nothing. Don't take a staff. Don't take a script. Don't take bread. Don't take money. Don't take an extra pair of clothes. And whatever house that you enter into, that means when you come in and you come into that house, you abide there and you depart there. And in verse 5, And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from their feet for a testimony against them. And in verse 6, they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now let me make some statements here before I close. In this preparation, this is interesting. He, don't, he tells them, don't take, don't take a rod or a staff. A staff or a rod was, was a sign of protection. When a shepherd would go out on a journey, he would have a rod for protection. Now they would often take extra rods in case one of them broke. One of the other Gospels actually tells him that they can take a rod, but don't take an extra rod. Now Luke, there's not a contradiction in the Gospels. Luke is just basically saying, only take what you have in your hand. Don't take anything extra. The emphasis here is on the dependence. Don't take a script. The King James uses the old English word script here. Webster's Dictionary in the 1800s defines this word script as to grab. It actually could mean and was used for a grab bag, like a shepherd would hold items of paper and food. It's actually the same word in the LXX that's used of David when he took his five stones and he put them in a bag. He put them in a script. So oftentimes in our day, we use a script as something that is written down. This, this would be more of a, of a bag that could keep notes. Or that could keep bread. One commentator indicated that this was a bag that was often used of beggars that would carry around asking for money. He said he'd hold it out and say, would, would, you, would you give me an offering? Right. Jesus tells the disciples, don't do that. Don't take any extra notes. Don't take any extra snacks. Don't take anything extra that you need. All, you, all, all you're going to go, you're going to go out empty Handed. Don't take any money. Don't take an extra change of clothes. That would be a cloak or an extra shirt between the two of you. Don't take any extra. You're not going to need it. Now, these no's are, are unique because if you look over in Luke chapter 22, in Luke 22, Jesus will send them out again, but this time, in his commissioning of them on the second occasion... In Luke 22, in verse 35, he said unto them, And when I sent you without a purse, or without a script, or without shoes, did you lack anything? And they said nothing. And he said unto them, But now he that has a purse, let him take it. And likewise, if he has a script, take it too. He that hath no sword, Sell his garment and buy a sword. 
But I say unto you that this is written, you must be accomplished unto me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. So there, when Jesus sends them out the second time, he tells them, go get an extra pair of clothes. Go get a bag. Go get some money. Go buy a sword. You're going to need it. But in this place, Jesus tells them not to. And say so Jesus is, is going to be showing them a specific point. And here's the point. He wants them to learn a lesson of complete dependence. Don't carry your credit card. Leave it at home. Despite what the commercials say. Because I want you to learn to rely upon me. And do you remember, he will tell them later, we just read, when you went out, did you lack anything? Interesting, if you needed a pair of clothes, they were provided for you. If you needed something to eat, they were provided for you. If you needed some money, it was given to you. If you needed an extra rod, it was there. You didn't have to take any of that because I provide your needs. He was teaching them at that moment a lesson of provision, which will come up in the evening service. Again, that Jesus will teach them a lesson of supply and demand. In verse 4, he tells them about hospitality. When you come into a house, stay and go from there. Now, that's kind of interesting. When they come into a village and they set up camp, in other words, the first person who invites them to their house says, come over, you, Peter and, and Andrew, when, when you're in our village, you can stay over at our house. As long as you're here, we've got an extra room for you. Camp out. And when you go out to preach, preach. And at the end of the day, you come back. Where you left, you depart from, you come back. And you say, well, why is that? Because Jesus is teaching the disciples not to be partial. To be hospitable. Because the temptation is, one commentary wrote this, that when the city baker gets saved that day, you're not tempted to go to his house for supper and spend the night. You know what? These people, you know, they're kind of poor. They didn't have a whole lot of stuff. And that little guest room's not all that bad. Did you know the richest man in town got saved today and he has a giant palace and seven guest rooms? I think I'm going to go back and say, you know what? I really appreciate your thing. But you know what? They, they got more room over here. Jesus is teaching his disciples, don't play games. Don't be partial. When you come into the house, stay in the house. Accept the hospitality of the house. And when you leave the city, leave from the same house that you arrived in. Don't move around from place to place looking for the best home, the best food, and, and the best. Don't do that. And he's teaching the disciples a lesson that will be passed on to the church. Don't play favorites. You're all equal before God. Some may have different things and some may have a better stuff. But it's not about the stuff, it's not about the class, it's about the kingdom of God and the message that's given. And then, be uncompromising. Don't compromise. He says, when you come into a place and they don't receive you, Jesus is saying, you will find that there will be homes, there will be cities, there will be synagogues who don't want your message. They don't want to listen to you. And when that happens, don't take it personal. Don't get angry. Just walk out to the edge of the city and take your shoes off and shake the dust. Put them back on and move on. They will reject God. Now, this is a sobering message by Jesus. Some of the homes and villages that they will enter into will be their family. 
will be their friends, will be their schoolmates, will be their cousins, will be their old co-workers, maybe their grandparents, maybe their parents. And they will reject their message just like they rejected Jesus' message. And it'll be hard. And there'll be a temptation to say, you know what, I don't want to offend them. So I won't preach so hard today. And Jesus is saying, don't compromise. It is sad when your family and friends reject the truth. But Jesus is telling, when that happens, don't water down the message. Don't change your sermon. Don't ignore the truth. You see, we live in a world today that if something is offensive, then we better not say it. Unless it's a Christian, then they're supposed to be quiet. Now, I'm not saying that we are to be rude or to be harsh. But what I am saying is that when it comes to the word of God, we just tell the truth. Whether it offends hearts or not, it's going to offend people. Don't water it down. Don't compromise with it. Just give the word of God. And there'll be a temptation to compromise and not stand. So as Jesus gives this this commission to these disciples, this special calling... And then empowers them with his, with his power and his authority to do this. And then gives them the plan. He gives them the orders. Alright, don't take any of this. You rely upon me. Don't show partiality. And don't be, uncomprom- uh, don't be compromising. Don't, don't change the message. Stick with the script. Stick with the message that I gave you. And you'll find that there will be people who will be hard. That don't want to listen. Now, as I think about that this morning and close service with the area of application, you could be here today and you could be rejecting the truth of God's word. You've heard the gospel, you've heard the message, and you've constantly put it off, put it off, put it off. Listen, God has given you an opportunity of his mercy and grace to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't reject it. Don't put off tomorrow what must be done today. And then I want to encourage you who, who have family and friends who have rejected the gospel on multiple occasions. Don't give up. Be faithful. Be a disciple who is constantly giving out the word of God. And when they reject it, shake the dust off. Don't take it personal. Don't think you've got to water down the Bible or you've got to change your view on marriage or change your view on genders or change your view on anything that may offend someone because maybe the Bible is just a little too harsh. Stick to the Word of God. Don't be embarrassed by it. Don't compromise and give it to the Lord. Of the disciples of Jesus that followed Him, all of them eventually betrayed Him and forsook Him. And Jesus understood what it was like to come to his own, in his own receive him not. Be faithful in the task that God has given you. Father, I pray as we close this morning. Lord, as we think about this message today of these disciples becoming apostles and you leading them and guiding them even into difficult situations, telling them that they're going to find themselves into homes and villages that don't want to hear what they've been, they've been tasked to do. It's going to be hard to walk away. There's going to be tears that are going to be shed. 
Lord, um, I ask that you would help believers today as they are students of your word. That they would also be faithful in the tasks that you've asked them to do. Some of them engineers, teachers, businessmen. Um, the vocations that you've called them to do. Would they be faithful using their talents for you and, and providing for their family? But Lord, would they be constantly telling others about Jesus Christ? And then those specifically in our congregation that you have called out into ministry to give their life to full-time Christian service, the pastoral staff and some of those here who, who work in, uh, in missions work or some of the young people who feel that you have given them direction and gifts to, to go into full-time ministry as they train. Lord, I ask that you would give them a resolve and encouragement to not give up and to be faithful. And word, would you call more in our, in our congregation, more young people, more adults to go into the foreign field and follow that, that leading and that sending that you've cried out. You are looking for laborers for the harvest. Would there be people who are willing to answer that call when you give it? Bless us this morning. With heads bowed and eyes closed, can you stand to your feet, please? I like the instrumentalists to just play a song of invitation today. Could be that the Lord has extended a call to a believer today for full-time Christian ministry. Could be that the Lord is, is pricking some hearts. I pray that he, he does. There are a lot of churches that need pastors. There are mission fields that, that need missionaries to come and partner with. There are Christian school teachers that, that are needed all across the United States. And it takes a special calling. Maybe the Lord be extending that, that call to someone here and planting the seeds in a burden. Don't push it away. Young people, don't push it away. He may, he may have a specific ministry for you. Be open to that. I'd encourage you to talk to your youth pastor. Come talk to me or one of these other pastors in our church. We encourage you. Whatever the Lord has called you to, whatever ministry or whatever job or vocation, He's gifted you with His Word. He's gifted you with the church. He has the Holy Spirit that is, that is within you. And He's given you His power to overcome whatever obstacle that you face. Don't leave today thinking that you're defeated. You have everything you need. You just need to decide, am I going to use it? I'm going to have them play through one more time before we close the service. Song of invitation, have thine own way. You're the potter, and I'm the clay. Thank you. You can look this way. Thank you for your attention in God's word. I pray that you have a good Father's Day um, as uh, you go out today.
And I would love to see you this evening in the evening service tonight. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the time we can sit under the word of God. Thank you for speaking to my heart today uh, that uh, we have all that we need uh, to accomplish the task that you've given us. Lord, um, I pray for those who have hard hearts like Herod who just won't listen. And Lord, if if there's someone here today that Seeds have been planted. Somebody has talked to them, a family member, a friend, has given them the gospel and even the truth of God's word to follow. And uh, they're just stubborn. And uh, Lord, help them to, to say, your will be done. And, and repent and follow the Lord and find that peace of coming to the Lord that you offer to them. Bless us as we go today. Thank you for Father's Day and pray that you would uh, be with the families here today. And the fathers, uh, they continue to train their children to love Jesus Christ and their grandchildren and uh, set that priority in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.